just want to read a scripture before I start. It's not from Nehemiah. Good morning, by the way. <laughs> We've just been in Israel for a week. And the story of Nehemiah is the story of the building of the walls of Jerusalem. And we've seen some of them. And we've been places which um, was absolutely wonderful. Went with Nigel and Debbie. I want to thank them for putting up with Marion for the week. <laughs> they now have a better understanding of what I have to put up with <laughs> on a daily basis. Right. Love is a wonderful thing, you see. Anyway, right. I want to read this because I think I'm slightly concerned that some of my words today uh, might be harsh. And I'm glad I'm doing this today and not after Robbie. So, because um, he's going to be speaking from Nehemiah too. And, and I made copious notes when um, Amelia spoke. I don't know what I was looking for her then. She's there. Oh, there. Hello. <laughs> I made copious notes. I didn't say anything she had to, she'd said. And then I lost them all. I couldn't find them. So I apologise if I repeat. But there will be repetition and there will be next time because it's unavoidable. We're all speaking on Nehemiah. But I want to read this because I think Nehemiah is a very legalistic book. And we live not in a legalistic age as far as our spiritual life is concerned. So I want to read this. Paul writes, therefore, just really take this in. Therefore, you know what I'm going to say now, don't you? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Amen. I was hearing this week that very often when I was reading it, I can't remember which now, um, that when the people said something and they agreed with it, they all shouted out, Amen. So it was nice to hear you say that in the prayers. It was also interesting that James said that actually um, what we, uh, he's got a heart for those who, he used the phrase, outside the walls, that we should be looking out. And um, again, these walls actually, and this, this story is very much about the internal It's about building walls. So actually to look outside of walls, you've actually got to have walls in the first place. Because if you haven't got walls, you haven't got a city. You haven't got a place. It identifies it. It might be seen as walls that block things out, but it also might be seen as, well, actually, there are gates. It's a place of security and to bring people in. I'm not talking about the walls of the church at all today. This is not what I'm referring to. Not the building in which the church resides, but we are talking about the walls. The story of Nehemiah, I'm I'm going to do this in in, almost in two parts. I'm going to go through the story of Nehemiah. I'm going to tell you it so that you're all aware of it. I'm going to highlight some things, and then at the end, what I aim to do is look at how that applies to us and what it's all about for us. Nehemiah... Israel was uh, sent into Babylon and God prophesied and spoke to the children of Israel and said, you're going to be there for 70 years. And this is because of your continuous disobedience. 
I've put up with you and I've put up with you and I've put up with you and I've done it long enough. And I'm going to put you into Babylon and you will be there 70 years. But then I will bring you back again. And 70 years later, they came back. And this is recorded in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah originally was one book. It was, that was what it was, Ezra and Nehemiah, one book. And then it was divided into two. And at one point it was called, I think so in Greek, the Esdras 1 and Esdras 2. If I get any of this wrong, please don't condemn me for it, all right? Uh, it's all going from uh, what I've been reading and thinking about and praying. And I've actually had, this is the most exciting thing. I don't care what you think about this this morning. I've had a ball for a, for a week and, and longer, actually. I read, I read Ezra and Nehemiah some time ago. And the last week I've been thinking about it and seeing. And, and yesterday I went for a walk. And I just, I put it on my headphones and I listened again to the book of Nehemiah being read to me. It takes an hour and four minutes. Okay, it's well worth doing. You go through all the names, but my gosh, it's great. So I've had a great time. But what's interesting is that this is the story of the second exodus. The first exodus was out of um, Egypt. And at that time, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh and, and then he made all the people give loads of gifts to the Israelites and sent them on their way. On the second exodus, God didn't harden the heart of the king. He softened the heart of Cyrus. And Cyrus then released the people and sent the people back and gave them all the things that they needed for the temple. I think there were 6,800 gold and silver items that he gave them to put back into the temple. Those were the items that had been taken out by Nebuchadnezzar when they destroyed the temple and destroyed Jerusalem. So God softened his heart. Um, I could give you the year, but I haven't written it down and I can't remember it. But um, God sent, it was through a a priest, I think, Zerubbabel. uh, And he took them back into, into Jerusalem. And they started to build the temple. It's recorded in Ezra. And um, they had a lot of problems and it took them years to do it. I think over 20 years, it took them a long time to do it. But from the time that they went back, 80 years after that, that's the time that Ezra goes back. And the temple's been built, but the city is, in a, is, is, a, is a mess. It's completely uh, still in a, in a destroyed state. Um, and there was a lot of trouble. And so Ezra went back then. And then 13 years after that, Nehemiah goes back. So Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. Ezra was a priest and a scribe and probably wrote a lot of the book of Ezra and probably some of, if not all, of the book of Nehemiah. But Nehemiah probably wrote bit of that as well because he said I did this I did this so he, he speaks in the first the first um, t- first person thank you thanks right um, I'm watching this clock I'm going to get nowhere near this sorry right so Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries <clears throat> Nehemiah was in uh, a city where the, the new king, not Cyrus anymore, this was Artaxerxes. He was in the city with Artaxerxes and he was the king's cupbearer. Now that isn't just the person who serves the tea. This is the man who is given responsibility for making sure um, that, um, sorry about that, I saw Alan serving the tea this morning. And, I was just, and, that, and that, if you give me the recipe for tea, I'll do it one week, okay? And... Um, 
And, but he's not just the person who's serving. He's the man who actually is looking after the king and the security. He's almost like a security guard, making sure he's not poisoned. And so he's, he's an, a, a, ma, a, a man of authority and in a good position. Um, so he was, he was there. And his brother, Hanani, uh, came back and told uh, Nehemiah what Jerusalem was like, the state it was in. And this broke his heart. He was, um, he just was completely broken. He wept and he fasted and he prayed. Now, when he'd gone before the king all the time, he'd gone through as a, a jolly sort of guy, you know, proper. But this time he went through and he was sad in his face. And Artaxerxes said to him, what's saddening you? And he said, why shouldn't I be sad when I hear that my people and my city are just in, in a state of collapse? There is nothing there. Um, it's broken down. So he prayed, but he'd also, he planned it all out. He wasn't just praying. He was praying to God. He was planning. He also prayed three things. I say three. I don't know whether it is three now. Um, he prayed. He he, 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 asked, he acknowledged before God the sin of his nation. He acknowledged before God the sin of his family. It is three. And he acknowledged before God his own personal sin. And then he brought his prayers before God. And he prayed that he, and he planned what was going to happen. Because Artaxerxes said, okay, you can go. And he asked for letters, and he got them, and he asked for wood, and he got it. And um, he also knew exactly how long it was going to take him and how he would come back. So he'd obviously planned it. I was, when I was reading this, I, I was just so aware that we live in a society that is tearing down walls. We live in a society where there are no rules, almost. Nothing is sacred. People are frightened to express an opinion. We live in what is called a liberal society, but sometimes it feels like it's not that liberal. Um, I can't, you know, it's liberal in one sense, but it's not liberal in another. The spirit of the age is do as you like. And that's the age we live in. Now, we're no longer obligated to live to the law of Moses. We don't have to do that. But we are obligated to live to the law of Jesus and the things that he shared and the way he done. We are obligated to open our hearts up and to live to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And those things will go on in us. Nehemiah reminds God of his promises. And we can do this too. The promises that God has made to us, the prophetic words that we receive. We weigh them, we trust them. But there are promises that God gives us, and there are many promises in the Bible, and they are ours. So Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, and he kept his plans all secret. He met with the teacher, but then after doing that, after going round, and it was a mess. It had been desolate for 90 years. There was no security. He, the, the, the way it records it is he tried to go somewhere. He couldn't even get his animal to the king's pool. He couldn't get it there. So there was obviously rubble everywhere. It was, it was just a wreck of a place. I just wondered that they'd lived with it like this for near on 90 years. 
they'd lived with the rubble. And I felt really challenged that, do we get used to what it's like? Do you know what I mean? We actually live with things as they are, and we just get used to them. I was reminded that we, li- we li- used to live in a flat. For 10 years, we lived in a flat in the center of town. And we put up with this bathroom for years and years and years. It was awful. Anyway, we had it fixed, and then within a year, we'd moved. And I thought, what is the point? You know what I mean? I, you know, we put up with this thing for nine years. We just put up with it. You know, the shower didn't work, and oh, it was just a mess. We got this done. And you put up with things. We all do it, don't we? And then just before we moved, we had the whole thing done. It was brilliant. So the first thing I did in the new house was got a new, kit, new bathroom fitted. <laughs> that was one of the first things I wanted to get done. But that's what we do. We put up with things. We get used to things as they are. And we expect them to be the same. And I just think that as part what God is saying to us, part of, the, of all through this is, it's time to change things. You know, as you get older, you don't want to change things. But, you know, I'm not one for saying, you know, you know nostalgia isn't what it used to be. I'm not one for saying, let's look back and how good it used to be. Actually, I'm rather looking forward to what it is going to be. Um, we welcome change. We welcome new things. We welcome the move of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to put up with all the rubble. I see the building of the walls as establishment, establishing or restoring the city of God. And as soon as you start to do that, you get opposition. And there were three people who opposed them. There was, um, can anybody remember them? Sambalat, Tobiah. Yeah, the, the other one's not known, Geshem. He was the Arab. So there was Sambalat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab. And all they did at first was they came, and it's in Nehemiah 2, verse, 40, verse 19. Um, I'll read it for you. But when Sambalat, Horonite, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So they came and they mocked them and they caused trouble. Then in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it lists everybody who did anything. I love this. They all got involved. There were hundreds of them getting involved, building the walls. And what was really nice was we, we went, while we were in Jerusalem last week, we went to a place where the dung gate was, which actually wasn't as I expected, um, if you understand what I mean. Um, and it says here, it's recorded here, the dung gate was repaired by, by Malkijar, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakaram. I bet he never thought his name was going to be recorded in Resound in 2018. How wonderful is that? But they got involved. And these were the rulers, the leaders, the princes. They all got involved. Everybody. We all get involved. We need to get involved. We need to be involved. Do you know what the wonderful thing about speaking on a Sunday morning is you're preparing for it for ages. And when I come, I'm actually more in the spirit than I am on a normal Sunday morning because I've been spending time with Jesus. You know, and then I punish myself and I say, why don't you do that every Sunday or every Saturday night? Why don't you actually prepare? 
before you go. And then you'll come with a word or with a testimony or with a song. And when they say, does somebody want to pray and give thanks? You'll have to wait your turn to squeeze your words in. Because actually we're, we're there. We're, we're where it's at. And that's where the Spirit of God dwells. That's where the Spirit of God dwells. And when people do come in, they will see that and they'll say, wow, these people have a living faith. It's living, it's vibrant. So it lists everybody there. And the opposition grew. And, and these Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem, they keep cropping up. This isn't just a one-off. At this point now, when they start building, they get angry. And they come, and uh, Sambalat comes with the army, the, the Samaritan army, the people who hated the Jews. Tobiah says, you're building this wall. Well, if a fox jumped on it, it would fall over. And they were discouraging the people. But the people kept working. They, they then got to the point, it got like this actually, that the workers, the people were working, they, they were losing strength. Because of these, these, these verbal attacks, they were just beginning to lose their strength. Is it worth it? This was very real. They just, it says that, it records that. So what Nehemiah had to do was he had to divide them into two. And half of them would build and half of them would have swords in their hands and protect them. So that they, they, they split it in two, so that they kept going. So they kept going and they kept going. So half of the, the half of the, the army, uh, half of the wall was built up. But then the opposition came internally. Because we read in chapter five that what the Jews did then was just some of the Jews were making, or taking usury from the others. They were lending them money and they were charging them interest. And some of them were actually, they'd taken their land and because they couldn't, because they couldn't uh, pay the debt back, they were taking their children as slaves. And so the, the children of Israel said, it's one thing to have the Babylonians do it to us and our enemies, but now even our own people are doing it. So poor old Nehemiah had to sort that out. But he was a man above reproach. He'd taken no money from them at all. He'd become governor of this area. But he didn't take any of the taxes. He didn't take anything at all. Where he got his money from, I've no idea. But God obviously provided for him or perhaps had provided for him early on. But he took nothing from them. So he then had to work at sorting it out. I tell you, being a leader in a church is not easy, is it? Because all of these things, as soon as you start moving in the power of God, you're going to get opposition from the external and you're going to get it from the internal. Because that's what Satan is trying to do, to destroy the works of God. That's all he wants to do. In Nehemiah, all right. Then there was even more opposition after that. Actually, I'll just mention these quickly. Five times Sambalat said to Nehemiah, come and meet with me. He sent his messages, said, come and meet so that we can meet together. But Nehemiah said, no, 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 no. Because he knew that he was just being tricked and trapped. Geshem uh, accused the Jews of, pl of plotting a revolt against the, the king of uh, Persia. They even, um, they even paid a prophet, Shemaiah, 
to go and prophesy and say to Nehemiah, your life is under threat. Come with me and we'll go and hide in the temple. But that would have been wrong for him to do that. So they were even trying to get him to do wrong things. But he knew that this was not right. In Nehemiah 6 verse 15, the wall was completed. Do you know it was completed in 52 days? I thought it would have, you should see it. I mean, I couldn't complete that wall in 52 days with an army of people as it is now to the level that Nehemiah built it. It was a, a great undertaking. Verse 16 says this, but this is the great thing after that. In verse 16, it reads this. So it was completed in, it records it's completed in chapter 6, verse 15, and 16 says this. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that, their work had be, that this work had been done with the help of our God. I think that is just wonderful. Isn't that so true? We get opposition, opposition, opposition. And the, the word of God says, just keep going. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Keep going. Don't, be, don't go to one side or the other. Keep going. And when the work is complete, the opposition will just go. Because it's Satan. And he knows when he's defeated. I I want to say hallelujah to that. (laughs) If I say hallelujah, will you say amen? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It is. It's wonderful. Let it be like that. So once they've done that, and I am getting there. (laughs) Once they've done that, they then brought the law out. And Nehemiah started to establish, he put people in positions. You do this, you do that, you're a gatekeeper. You're serving there, you're serving there. They re-established the Sabbath. I'm not saying we re-established the Sabbath, but they re-established the Sabbath because it was their law, it was their way, it was what God desired of them. They re-established it and they set it, set it in place. They stopped their sons and their daughters from marrying foreigners. And the foreigners that had come into the city, they kicked them out. And they, they, they set Jerusalem up as a place where God could dwell and where they could worship their God. That's what they were doing. But even at that point, Tobiah happened to be the son-in-law of a, 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 of a Jew. So he got a house in the city. And Nehemiah found him in the city and then kicked him out. It was a real clearing out. Okay, we've got about three minutes or four minutes. This is, I can do it, yeah. This is a story of, of, this is a story about restoration. It's a story of repentance, forgiveness, prayer, worship, and action. And that is so crucial. When they prayed, they acted. It's no good praying and not acting. God isn't going to do it on his own. He's going to use us. He's going to, it's, it's action, it's action, it's action. So if we're praying about where we go, we pray, we go. It is not judgmental. Jesus said when he came, I have not come to judge the world, but the, the world through me might be saved. He didn't, the only people he judged were the leaders of the, the Pharisees. And the only people he seemed to tell off were his disciples. And actually, he just, he just changed the whole way we look at things. It's quite interesting, but when I joined, when I joined um, 
the church in Bristol, we were BCF. And so for many years I knew BCF. Didn't know, uh, I don't think I ever went to Soundwell. Maybe for one baptism. I can't remember. Um, but actually it almost feels like this was the building of a second temple. It was the second world. When we were in Israel last week, they said it's the second temple. They referred to it as that. And it feels like, I feel like God is rebuilding. When we started coming to the, when the church became sort of resound, we were one of the youngest in the church, or it felt like that. And now I feel like I'm one of the oldest. Um, somebody then said, you look it. But it's a story about commitment. We're not building physical walls and we're not building legal walls. But we are building walls of love, commitment, dedication, sacrifice, dare I say it, walls of holiness. One of my favourite television programmes used to be Mock the Week because I just like the sense of humour, but the, the language and the, the just the way it is now, it's just horrific. It might not be to you, and that's fine. But to me, it just, it really hurts my spirit. And some of those programs to hear the blasphemy against the name of Jesus is just horrific. And I sometimes think, Lord, I, yeah, I want that actually. I want to be more Holy. I don't want to sit listening to their language and then go into church. I don't want those things. I want to be close to you. But we don't talk much about holiness. It's a story of unity, of everybody pulling together, being with one another. I say it to my shame, but I I said I was going to mention Linda and and Peter Reese. You know, coming here from... Two people I absolutely adore, um, but for a long time didn't speak to them. And we just didn't meet. We weren't part of the group. We weren't part of the same group. We just didn't talk or, or meet. But since I've spoken to them, I'm just so blessed. And hopefully I bless them too. And actually, we don't talk to one another. And perhaps we should. We need unity. And all we need to do is say, hello, I don't, can't remember your name. And I very often can't, Marion. And, and, I, and I get lost for, for, for words. But actually, just to sort of be working together, side by side, speaking. We don't speak. That's your fault. <laughs> because you don't approach me, approach me and I don't appro- approach you. But actually, we're working together. We're building walls. We're building a place which is secure. Because if I speak to you, I can pray for you. And you, you, you can come to my mind. We can support one another. As the building got nearer and nearer to completion, the resistance grew greater and greater. But once achieved, it fell away. In our lives, it's the same. Sometimes this isn't about the church, it's about you and me. These things apply to me too. I've mentioned many times, I've got um, three daughters that I haven't spoken to two of them for 20 years. 
And one of the promises of God for me is restoration. Now I can pray about that for as long as I like. But actually I know I've got to pray and fast and do something about it. I don't even mention, when people ask me, I don't even mention their names. I just say three daughters. They're Helen, Joanne and Jodine. They're people, they're individuals. They're not three daughters. And I know God's doing a work in me and he's got to do. And he's been doing it for a long time and I'm resisting it. Because actually, I don't think I could do with the upset and the pain. And I'm worried about it. But actually, if I pray and fast and give it to God, he can do it. But we need to move on these things. Because this is where the spirit is. He's about changing our lives. He's about making us right. As a church, building walls like these doesn't exclude people. It provides a place of security. It gives us something to go out and to do. To be committed with each other. To be one, unified, in Jesus Christ, in the Spirit. Going out, meeting people and taking what we have here out there. Not allowing what is out there to come in here. Amen.